Our gospel reading from Luke begins this way. All the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to Jesus, and the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling and saying, this fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. So that's the context, that's uh, the complaint that we find at the beginning of the gospel passage. The Pharisees and the scribes, they are grumbling and they're criticizing Jesus because he welcomes sinners and he eats with them. And so in response to this criticism, Jesus gives three parables. We're only given one in our, our reading today, but if you look at the passage in the bulletin, you'll notice verses 4 through 10 are left out of our reading. And in those verses, you get two more parables. So Jesus responds with the parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, and then with the parable we read, uh, the parable of the lost son or the prodigal son. And in effect, what he's saying to them is he's saying, the hospitality that I am showing, it actually reflects the hospitality of God, which really is a, a remarkable thing. I mean, I know we've read these parables many times in our life, but Jesus is saying to them, you really want to know what God is like? Well, look at the shepherd and the sheep. You want to know what God is like? Well, look at that woman and the coin. You want to know what God is like? Well, look at the father with his son. That's what God is like. And so this morning, what I want to do is just spend a few uh, minutes looking at this parable given to us, the parable of the lost son, and reflect on its meaning because it truly is a remarkable thing that Jesus says to us this morning. So the parable, it begins this way. We are told uh, that there is a man with two sons. And the younger son comes to his father and he says, Father, I want my inheritance now. I want you to give, you, give me your, the share of the estate that is going to come to me one day. And so surprisingly, the, the father agrees. And we know from Deuteronomy chapter 21, verse 17, that the younger son would have gotten one-third of the estate. So the father divides the estate and gives him one-third. Now, what we need to know, and I think we all realize this, is that this request by the younger son is an outrageous request. Kenneth Bailey is a commentator widely respected for his understanding of the parables. And he says that in the 15 years he spent living in and traveling throughout the Middle East, that he would often go to villages and talk to people about this parable. And he would ask them, have you ever heard of a son asking for his inheritance before his father died? And they would say, never. We have, ne we have never heard of that. And then he would say, is it even possible for a son to request this from his father? And they said, it's impossible. He couldn't do it. Because they said, if to request this means that you want your father to die. And if a son ever requested this of his father, well, the father has every right to disown him. 
Now, Kenneth Bailey also says that he has studied uh, ancient and modern writings of the Middle East. And he says in the historical record that there is no incident of this ever happening other than in this parable. You can't find it anywhere of of a son, younger or older, asking for their inheritance before the father dies. And that's because it's an outrageous request. So the son makes this outrageous request, and as we said, the the father grants it. And then to add insult to injury, the son takes his share and he liquidates it. He sells it. He sells off the land. He sells off the livestock, which means he is diminishing his father's estate. This is probably uh, land that has been in the family for generations. Uh, he's, he, he is basically whittling down his father's estate and standing, therefore, in the community. It's another outrage. This is a, a society that so valued honor and feared shame. And what this son is doing is he is shaming his father. He's, he's taking his father down a notch. So during this season of Lent, as we reflect on the nature of sin, remember this picture, that sin at its core is the snubbing of God. Sin at its core is telling God to drop dead. Sin at its core is taking all the gifts given to you and then turning your back on the giver of those gifts. And you know, it's, it's such a, a foolish thing. I mean, sin is always a foolish thing. Here is this young man who has gravitas. He has a position, real standing in the community because of his relationship with the Father. He's the Father's beloved. And yet he decides just to throw it away. And now, because he has left the Father, has decided to leave the Father, He must find his own significance. He must find his own way in life. Henry Nouwen, who I know many of you have read before, he has a wonderful little book on this parable. And he says that as you and I travel further and further from the place where God is, he says the voice of God calling us beloved becomes fainter and fainter, until eventually we find ourselves outside the reach of God's voice. And when that happens, we become caught in the manipulation of the world and entangled in the world's notions of what it means to be significant, what it means to be somebody. I mean, when you are no longer defined by your relationship to the Father, where do you find your dignity? Where do you find your your weight? And so this son, he, he turns his back on all this. And in doing so, he loses it. And he has to find his significance elsewhere. And and we can ask, why does he do this? Why does the son leave all that's been given to him? Uh, And we aren't exactly told what's motivating him, but what is implied is that he wants freedom. 
He wants to get out from under his father's rule, out from the the ways of the family. And I think this, this desire for freedom, we can all identify with it, right? The desire to, to shape your life the way you, you want to shape it. We all, we all feel that, this desire for radical autonomy. Uh, I, think, I think actually this is how most of us think about what, what freedom is, that freedom is the ability to do what you want to do. But what the Bible tells us is that while this is a type of freedom, it's a rather shallow type of freedom. Because it argues that there is actually a deeper type of freedom we should be seeking. And that is uh, to be free, according to the scriptures. To be free means that you are free to become what you were meant to be. Free to become what you were created to be which means to be free, truly free, you must not become enslaved to things, enslaved to a desire for recognition, enslaved to money, uh, to health, to fame. You must not let these lesser gods grab you and make you serve them. That's the type of freedom the Scriptures want us to pursue, not the freedom of radical autonomy. But of course, the son doesn't want this. All the son wants to do is is to do what he wants to do. So he goes away to the far country. So here's this this kid who represents so much uh, the human heart, doesn't appreciate what he's been given, leaves the father's house, and we are told he squanders everything that's been given to him in this far away country. Now at this point, a famine comes to the land he's in, and of course the son has no reserves. And so in order to survive, he hires himself out to a citizen of that country who puts him to work with the pigs. And we are told that he is with the pigs and he is so hungry that that he wants to eat the food given to the pigs, but, but no one will give him anything. Now in in his book, he says that what really culminates the misery that this young man finds in the far country is that no one gives a rip about him anymore. They won't even feed him. He feels completely insignificant. He feels alone, a nobody. As far as these people are concerned, Let him die. And it's at that point that we're told in the story that this young man comes to himself. He has this moment of clarity that he cannot keep living this way. He's hit rock bottom. There's a Christian writer named Mary Carr. She has a memoir called Lit. And in the memoir, she describes her struggle uh, with alcoholism. And she tells the story of a time in her life when she would hide vodka in the chest freezer uh, in her basement. Now, her family uh, was always searching the home for alcohol because uh, they knew about her alcoholism. But she says she could, they could never find this bottle of vodka because what she did is she would hide it 
inside a frozen turkey in the chest freezer. So as she was cooking dinner, she would walk down to the basement, open the chest freezer, pull the bottle of vodka out from the turkey, take a few drinks, put it back, and go back up to the kitchen. Now one day she says, uh, she goes down to the basement, opens the chest freezer, grabs the turkey, but the bottle will not come out. It is, it is frozen inside the turkey. And so she keeps pulling at the bottle, it won't come out, so eventually she just picks up the frozen turkey, puts it over her head, and starts to drink the vodka. And she says, at that moment, as she thought about this, this ridiculous picture of her drinking vodka out of a frozen turkey, she says, in that moment, she came to herself. She realized that she couldn't keep doing this. She came to herself. It happens to the son. He looks at his situation. He says, this, this is ridiculous. My father's servants have plenty of food. And it says, I will get up and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired hands. And so we're told he, he sets off to return. And then we read this. So he set off and went to his father. But while he was still far off, his father saw him and filled and was filled with compassion. He ran and put his arms around him and kissed him. Now here we find the heart of the parable. The father sees him and the father runs to him. And Kenneth Bailey, he says that for a man of standing, a wealthy person in the community, for the father to run down the village street, it's extraordinary. It's so undignified. And yet, here is the father making a public show of it. He's moved by compassion and love, and he throws his arms around his son, kisses him. And Bailey points out this is all done in public, which is important. You know, the son is hated by the village. The son has shamed all of them. And so this public act is a, is a way for the father to say to all those who look at this kid with loathing, to say, this is my son. You should be kind to him. And then the father does those four things. He says, bring my son the best robe which would have been the father's robe. And he says, give him a ring. And the ring would have signified the son's authority. Just like Joseph received a ring from Pharaoh when he became co-ruler. To give him a ring is, is like giving him the father's credit card. It, it opens up all the treasures of the father. And then he gives him sandals. A slave went about barefoot, but free men and women had sandals. And then finally, he says, kill the fatted calf and let us celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So this coming back to God is a coming that culminates in feasting and celebration and reinstatement. Jesus 
He's speaking to the scribes and the Pharisees, and he says to them, this, this is what God is like. And we read this parable during Lent to remind ourselves of the compassion of God, to remind us that we have turned from the Father, but that he is ready to welcome us back, to embrace us and reinstate us. And why do we even believe that this is true, this parable? Well, we believe it's true because of the one who tells the story. For in him, God comes running down the roads of our villages to embrace us and to bring us back home. Amen.